Welcome to Uphill Conversations. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host, Tim Pecoraro. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello there, and welcome to Uphill Conversations. I am Tim. And I'm Megan. And we're glad you can join us as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. And hopefully you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So welcome everyone. This is episode 26. Um, This is my third episode now on Uphill Conversations uh, since joining Tim in this endeavor and it is still really fun and really exciting. Um, We really appreciate everyone who has given us some great feedback on our last episodes and just a reminder we would love it if you would go out and rate and review the show. We always want to hear your feedback and of course if you have any suggestions or ideas for us you can always reach um, out to me at megan at uphillconversations.co. That's right or you can send something to me Tim at uphillconversations.co. And then if it's just generic and you just want to talk to us, you can do connect at uphillconversations.co. And write the website, uphillconversations.co. Find us on Stitcher, which we've been having some problems with Stitcher. So we're not really sure what's going on there, but it stopped at 23 and it won't keep going. So we have reached out to them. So those of you who have Androids, we are not like thinking that you're not real people because we know that you are. Um, so the workaround right now is just go to the website and you can under episodes, right? You can find everything. And when we find out what's going on, hopefully they'll fix it. It'll be rock and rolling. And iTunes is still good to go. Yeah, iTunes is great. And um, we love it. We have had a big spike in downloads uh, of the of the episodes and that gets us really excited. And we're just glad to know that so many people out there are enjoying um what we're talking about. That's right. We were just having an interesting conversation. So I'm just going to throw this out. Now, and, and we have a great guest too that that um, we've interviewed. Yes. And we'll tell you in a second here. But we were just talking about something. And this is and this will just, you know, if you want if you want to weigh in on this, email us. Like <laughs> this will be great. Or even on our uh, Twitter at Uphill Combo. What are, what are your thoughts on this whole thing on <laughs> Ellipsy? using okay now megan didn't know i was going to bring this up but we literally before we hit record we were talking about this so what is what megan tell everybody what a pet peeve of yours is and why okay i the the improper use of an ellipsis ellipsis in writing so if i send you an email especially an email or a text where i'm saying hey um i'm so sorry i can't meet up with you but i'm really excited because i'll still be able to see you tomorrow something like that and you write back okay dot 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 what's that do to you (laughs) and to me i just to me that just makes me feel like you are annoyed with me exacerbated upset but i know people don't always use it that way some people just use it instead of a comma or a period okay i'm just gonna catch you something you said exacerbated or exasperated what is an exacerbate (laughs) is that not the right word (laughs) 
I think I don't know, like exacerbated or exa- look at I'm she's looking, looking it up. It up. Well, looking you go ahead up. and look it up real quick. <laughs> but but I've even mentioned this before because I've run into that. And first of all, you can't have like it's hard to read tone in an, in a text or an email. And I said this on like I don't know maybe my top ten episodes. Uh, so That's you, correct. You by were the way. correct. Yeah, exactly. It's to make a problem or a bad situation worse or a negative feeling. Oh, so but you said they are exacerbated. Yeah. So maybe I didn't use the right text. <laughs> Tense. I just busted you. No, 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 no. Exacerbated. The past participle is exacerbated. So that would be right. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Well, I'm just going to back up. I'm back up on it. But what I was saying was like in, like in the top 10 of my the first episodes when I was just by myself before I had some great company on the mic, I, um, I get irritated by text as well when... People like to talk through texts, okay? I hate text conversations. I can't stand them. I mean, use it like it is. Just like, just communicate something and be done with it. Number one, though, you can't read into everything that you see because you can't see their face. You don't know. know what it is. Now, if you just got off the phone and you were screaming at each other or something, you know, then you'll know maybe what that text is, <laughs> what it's like, right? Right. So, um, anyways, like... I send a text, someone said something to me, I replied back, and I just put the letter K. It's quick. Look, I'm old enough to know that <laughs> in my days, growing, I didn't have, I mean, I'm I'm an older person here. I didn't use texts. I mean, you know, we wrote a note. <laughs> I mean, we talked on the phone. We even, this is, I'm talking like the... Rotary phone. Yeah, rotary ass thing. And then do, 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 do. And you hated messing up. You have to start all over. You can't hit backspace and delete the number you accidentally typed in. So... I answer this person, I put K, and they text back, what's wrong? <laughs> You're like, nothing. I just said, okay. But it, K. Was, it was just K, like yeah. K. To me, I think there's a problem if you say, okay. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. So our guest this week. So this week, uh, it's... Really, we we have a really amazing guest. Uh, it's Jay Bear, and uh, he is a speaker. He works with uh, teams all around the world, uh, helping them with customer service and um, the customer experience. So, the conversation with him, he and Tim is really great. Um, he actually just released a book not too long ago called "Hug Your Haters." Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. Great book. And uh, they talk a little bit about that. And what's cool is they actually where Jay started when he was writing that book is different than where he finished. So I think it's a really cool idea of the process of even writing where you go into something with one idea and you have to pivot and do something a little bit different. And uh, I would really encourage you guys to read that book. Yeah, especially if you're in any kind of business where you're doing service and you have to take care of, you know, you have to take care of your customers. One of the things he said that really stood out was, you know, that um, your customer, you know, they may not be right, but they will be heard, <laughs> right. you know? And so he walks you through that process. But what I love that we ended up doing was, which this show is all about, you know, even if a person's not in, you know, they're not, they don't, you're not a business owner. Maybe you're listening, mm-hmm. you don't own a business or whatever. What I like is getting people to just talk about themselves and different thoughts and how can they take that and move what they're doing into helping people with their personal lives and things that, you know, they have going on there as well to build the person, you know, to go do everything else. And we got into this whole hug the hater mm-hmm. on the inside like even in a company how do you work with your employees you got you got you got co-workers that kind of like 
are haters. You know, mm-hmm. they can hate on you. So how do you deal with it? You yeah. Know? And you guys got into how do you take one of those a detractor or someone who's negative and turn them into an influencer and turn them into a positive in a positive way. Uh, and I really liked um, and maybe this goes along with something that I mentioned in the episode, our first episode that we did. But he talks about the importance of criticism and negative feedback in order to get better. Um, and just the idea that everyone everyone loves praise. And, and he his quote is, you know, people like to roll around in it. <laughs> and, you know, I'm I'll raise my hand and say, you know, I'm I'm one of those people who doesn't like to hear you're doing a great job. You're doing amazing. You had such a great inner interaction with that client, that customer. But, you know, if you want to get better and you want to continue to grow and deliver that great customer experience, it is so important to get that negative feedback and receive it in a positive way rather than running away from it. Well, this is going to be good stuff. And I hope people will just just listen to it. And I think you'll be really, uh, I think you'll be moved by the conversation. I think it's a great one. So without any further delay, let's listen to this interview with Mr. Jay Bear. All right. Well, welcome to Uphill Conversations, Jay. And I'm so glad that you could be with, with me here today. And uh, so tell me how you're doing in your world. I'm doing pretty great. It's uh, a busy season. Uh, weather is uh, becoming terrible, <laughs> which tends to happen. Uh, I'm headed out to Canada today, so I'm going to go from um, from bad weather to probably worse weather. But that's the that's the cross I bear sometimes. <laughs> are you uh, are you uh, in the Northeast right now? I'm in the Midwest. I, I Midwest. live in uh, in Indiana, so it's you Ooh. know we don't get it's not as bad as you know it's not like being in Minnesota or. Buffalo or something like that, but you know it can get a little, it can get a little, uh, a little crazy in the winter here. A little hairy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm glad to have you on the show. I'm a guy who loves to um, get, you know, get into the inner workings of people who are doing extraordinary things, and um, I like to get my listeners. As soon as we find somebody doing extraordinary things, we'll have them on the show. I don't think I'm that guy, but I'm delighted to be here anyway. Well, hey, hey, hey. Well, I, I will go ahead and toot your horn for you then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You very just, kind. You've had a great, uh, you've made a big impact in my life, especially my, I have two other companies um, that uh, that I started years ago, and um, we are uh, actually putting a lot of the things that you've taught to work and trying to encourage our clients. It's marketing. So we work with our clients and in their marketing and understanding that you can't just put a plan together and some strategy and tactics, throw them out there. There's a lot more that goes on. Um, but I, um, you know, I, right now my big focus is, and that's what I've done is kind of extracted myself out of those businesses. And I've been coaching for years and now I'm really focusing on that primarily to help people develop themselves. And it takes people like you who have found that unique part of who they are, the remarkable within them, uh, the ideas that come to them, not just leave them in their brain, but bring them out. And um, one of the things that really stands out to me is on the hug your haters. It's interesting um, in your book and how you go through the importance of that. And and once again, I recommend anyone, uh, they should read this book. Uh, to me, it's a great life application book. Um in the sense that you have to understand you're going to deal with difficult people and uh, you have to understand what a feedback is, but also having a feedback loop. In other words, even having a real conversation, but I want people to be able to um, really unlock themselves, to really look at themselves and 
um, how to uh, actually get better or improve on the things that they do day to day. Not everybody owns a business. Not everybody is going to start a business. But you know, for people that are working, actively working, there's such an importance for them to understand that they are a brand ambassador, that what they bring into the mix is important. And what I love about Hug Your Haters is if companies not only get a hold of that, but the people on the inside, it can't just be at the top. It's got to be the people that walk in the door. So I would love to have some conversation uh, with you around that and the personal effect, like how employees are changed. How do people, um, you know, when you're presenting to them, what are you hearing on the inside from just staff members, the employees, the, you know, the people that are right there in the middle of it, taking and putting some action uh, behind uh, some of the philosophy and concepts that you've proven to work. Um, how do you get, how, what are you hearing from them as feedback? Are you getting any of that time uh, to listen to any of those one to, in one-to-one conversations to any employees and, and the benefit it's making in their life and how they do their job? Yeah, it's interesting. It's really, really difficult to be great at customer service or customer experience without a very satisfied group of employees. Mm. Like those two things uh, correlate almost perfectly. Um, and in fact, I, I did a, a report uh, I don't know, a few years ago now that compared companies that are on the best places to work list with companies that have very, very high customer satisfaction scores. And it's very similar. It's the same group of companies. And, and, and it makes sense, right? Like if you're going to if you're going to work well with your customers and make sure that your customers are happy and satisfied and go the extra mile, which is what great customer service often requires, that's almost impossible to do if you're not happy in your own workplace. And so customer experience and customer satisfaction and customer service have to come from from the inside out. And 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 while certainly the people on the front lines are the most obvious manifestation of that because they're the ones who... Uh, are actually working with customers every day. What what I've discovered in our consulting business is that companies can be better than average at customer service and customer experience if the front line just says, "Hey, this is our our these are our values, right? This is what we believe." Right. But you'll never be great at it unless it comes from the top down. Like unless unless sort of the the owners, the executives, the managers say, "This is the kind of company that we want to be," and and we're going to structure a company. Uh, to do that. But it's funny, just in the last, uh, I don't know, 90 days or so, I've been doing more and more presentations on hug your haters internally. <laughs> and this, I, this idea, this idea of, you know, the internal customer. And, and I did one about three weeks ago. It was one of the most fascinating presentations of my career. And I went to the United States Air Force Academy and did a presentation there for all of uh, the officers and the professors and the instructors at the Air Force Academy about the importance of criticism and the importance of negative internal feedback mm. and and how praise is massively overrated. And, and the thing that makes you a better person is negative feedback and criticism. And talk about an audience that was not raised on that principle. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you're in the military, it's like, look, here's what it's going to be. I'm going to give you an order. And if you don't like that order, I could care less. Right. Uh, and here I come in there saying, well, yeah, but it's actually different. It's better if people complain. So it was a really, really interesting day. And and just there's a lot more. I think we live in turbulent times, right? We're, right. we're, in, we're in a place in the world where people are uh, kind of angsty in general. And so hug your haters kind of ended up being the right message at the right time kind of accidentally. 
Wow, that is great because and it's funny because when I was I was talking with some folks about interviewing you and I was saying to them, you know, I love this because, you know, this is all out there. This is for the, you know, these companies and these people, but you know, in my, what I've been doing a lot with coaches, coaching is one-to-one entrepreneurs, but also with teams. I go in and help companies with their culture. And I say, there is a soul to your business and it, it does the leadership or the owners need to be a part of that and not be distant from it. But I love that internal, you know, you know, hug, you know, hug the haters that are on the inside, this internal mechanism. And, um, so I'm really excited to hear that you're already in this vein of thinking, uh, how do you get people though? What do you, when you walk into, uh, you know, because everybody has a different idea of what that hug should look like. You know, it's kind of like relationally, you know, how people try to, you can't legislate love, you know, you can't mandate, you can't demand it. So if people are going to be kind and do this hugging and all this other stuff. Everyone's got a different perspective or purview. They're looking at it differently. How do you unite the thought around hug your haters um, with a group of people like what you did with the Air Force? How do you bring them into unity of thinking? Hello? Did I lose you? Sorry Hello? about that. Uh, I'm here. So what we typically do is try to explain uh, why we react in the ways that we react to negative feedback and criticism. And it's actually your brain chemistry changes. So so when you are confronted with negative feedback or criticism, your your actual mind, your 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 mental state changes disproportionate to to anything else. And so that's why what typically happens when somebody complains or attacks you in a workplace or or even a customer attacks a company, et cetera, usually what happens is three three things, none of which are good. You either ignore the complaint, you dismiss the complaint as unimportant, or you argue back. And, and none of those are, are going to uh, improve the situation. It just takes a bad situation and makes it worse. And so what I try to do is then methodically talk about, okay, how, how do we make sure that we're not ignoring? How do we make sure we're not dismissing? How do we make sure we're not arguing? And and when you kind of break it down scientifically and linearly like that, it's it's easier, I find, for people in a workplace to say, oh, okay, I, I understand why this is happening and I can see it coming and I can recognize it as it's occurring. And then the overall thesis, of course, uh, is that we need to run toward complaints instead of running away from complaints, that, that complaints are the best possible thing that can happen uh, because without complaints, you never get any better. You just you, you do not have the raw materials necessary to get better unless somebody says, hey, this is not as good as it can be. And that's hard because it's somewhat counter to human nature. We, we like to roll around in praise. Like we, it's just how we're wired, right? We Everybody likes applause, but it doesn't actually teach you anything, right? You, you almost always already know what you're good at. Right. And, and so to reinforce that over and over feels satisfying psychologically, but, but isn't terribly productive uh, in the big scheme of things. And so those are some of the themes that we try and work on when we're, when we're dealing with internal hug your haters issues. Well, that's great because, uh, you know, as you said, it's counterintuitive, you know, we, we either want praise or we want to avoid anything that's negative. Um, right. I want praise or silence. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Exactly how the world works. But <laughs> yeah, I appreciate praise, it. Yeah. And they don't want to hear it. But so moving into that, um, how do you, you know, how do you uh, encourage people to, uh, you know, make it healthy 
for that yeah. criticism, like yeah. healthy criticism, you know, because, you know, this is something, you know, I tell people that de deficiencies lead to dysfunctions. So a child can be born yep. with a deficiency, you supplement or you give some sort of treatment if they're low on iron, you have to do certain things because over time, what happens is that deficiency turns to a dysfunction. So how do you, how do you help people as far as, you know, create that healthier environment to be able to say, Hey, this is criticism. Yeah, it's not what you're used to. It's not a trophy for participating. Yeah. And it's, you know, and we're not going to argue this to the dirt. We're going to hear it, work with it, get feedback, and we're moving forward. What do you do to get that going? It's funny. It's almost like marriage counseling for the workplace <laughs> where where you are, you, you work with participants to give them uh, a structure for complaint to say, mm -hmm. look, complaints are great. Complaints are a gift. Uh, complaints are the best thing we can possibly do as long as they are uh, structured in in a way that is helpful, right? And so it has to be specific. It has to be uh, factual. It has to be non-personal. And, and so you sort of give the complainer a structure for how to voice dissatisfaction. And then you give the recipient of the complaint uh, a structure for how to take that complaint and acknowledge it and acknowledge its merits and and then give them the permission to go do something about it, to go fix it. Um, so a lot of it is just use of common structure and, and common language. Um, in fact, there's a, a an ebook that I wrote after Hug Your Haters was published uh, called The 13 Words That You Never Use mm -hmm. When Replying to a Customer. And many of those same words apply internally as well. And a lot of times it's things that you might think are uh, innocuous or, or harmless, but when they're structured in... Uh, a complaint resolution or or an exchange like that, it tends to actually make things worse. So um, a word like, let me think of a good example, uh, policy, right? right. So Ugh, it might yeah. actually be, it might actually be the policy, right? And, right? and so you think, well, the policy is, the policy is you can't have another vacation day. And you, you just, you, you feel like you're doing your job as a manager because that is the policy. And so you're describing to your uh, to your employee that the policy says that you can't have another vacation day. But the problem is that that robs that whole exchange of, of, of humanity. Right. And, and kind of passes the buck. It's not my problem as your manager. There's this policy that none of us have ever seen, uh, but we know to exist, uh, that prevents me from, from addressing this in a, in a human specific way. So there's just little words like that, uh, that, that when you say them or write them, you're like, Oh yeah, of course. But then when you sort of give yourself some distance, you're like, Oh yeah, I can see how that wouldn't sit very well. So it's, it's kind of a handy guide. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link to it if you want to put it in the show. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. And, and it's got a stinging effect too, because what happens is you feel like you've removed the voice from the individual who's requesting Absolutely. that time off. That's I mean, exactly. their voice is gone. Yep. That's you it. And that's one of those things that I talked about the ignore complaints, dismiss complaints and argue that's that kind of exchange is very symptomatic of the dismiss the complaint uh, element, right? That that I answered you, but not really. I, I kind right. of minimized. I sort of minimized your uh, your complaint and your views. Right, and that's a matter of validation too. You know, so a person needs to feel validated, and and not to just you know it's not placating them or just you know patronizing someone, but you need to validate what they're saying, and you probably could eliminate a lot of frustration and irritation which ultimately can contribute to a very toxic environment, would you say? Oh, no question about it. Uh, and, and look, people, people recognize patterns. If, if you complain and you're shot down, right. either, either clearly shot down or shot down by essentially being ignored, 
the next time you have something to say, are you going to rush to say that? No, it, it, it's human nature. Right. You know, water finds its own level. And, and so you might think that oh, I just had a bad day and I probably shouldn't have handled it that way. But there's long term ripple effect impact on how you handle every interaction. And sometimes I think we overlook that. And what happens is you turn around one day and you have a workplace environment or even a family life environment where people are essentially fearful for having a counter opinion because every time they have that opinion they have a negative interaction with you or, or other people in the organization and so eventually you, you just get a lot of people who have a better idea who know something's wrong but they never speak up because they've been taught that speaking up makes it worse not better wow and that's a serious roadblock to any kind of health wellness progress <laughs> motivation yeah. inspiration i mean oh yeah that's a that's like a punch so in the gut me about sort of where we're at right now in america i feel like we're we've got this pendulum that's swinging back towards you know balkanization of ideas and 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 thought and that you know dissent should just be ignored that dissent is no longer uh and even dissent just opposing views are no longer welcomed here like we only want to surround ourselves with people who think exactly how we think. And, and if, and if there's any sort of disagreement there, we just block them on Twitter and everything is going to go away. And in long term, I just don't feel like that's a productive way to run a family, a business, a government, a society or anything else. Right. So mindset, uh, well, like what you're saying, that's like a confirmation bias. Like I'm only going to agree with Absolutely. what I confirm on the inside. That's right. You know, you know, so, wow, that's incredible. Um, let that's me block. I read about this like five years ago, six years ago. Really? So the problem, the problem with blogs is that, and all sort of social media driven uh, content is it allows you to only be around the people and the ideas that you already hold. And, you know, when I was a kid, we had three TV stations and, and you got your news from your local daily newspaper or you got your news from Walter Cronkite or Dan Rather. That was pretty much the list. Right. And did those outlets have some sort of a, a viewpoint slant? Of course, all media does. But I think on the whole, it was a more wide-ranging, objective, here's kind of what's happening, um, we don't have an axe to grind type of, of news distribution. And now, of course, you can, and many, many people do, uh, surround themselves only in this echo chamber um, that convinces them that they're right and that everybody else is wrong. And I, and I just don't feel like that's productive. In fact, it's a funny story. I travel 48 weeks a year. True story. The The three – most heated arguments that I have seen in 2016, this is totally true. <laughs> I can't the wait to hear these. <laughs> most, the three most heated arguments I have seen this year have been in airport lounges <laughs> where business flyers were fighting, like almost fist fighting, to determine whether the TVs in the lounge would be set to Fox News or MSNBC. Oh, my God. I mean, full on, like, physical yelling confrontations. Uh, it, it is really something. And, and it's just a symptom of, of what I'm talking about, that everybody wants to, you, you talked about confirmation bias. It's exactly right. It's, I, I only want to be around people who think how I think, and I only want to be around content that reinforces that opinion. Uh, and I understand how psychologically satisfying that is, but it's really counterproductive. Right. And, and there's actually no possibility for any kind of innovation to take place, any kind of cross-pollination of thought for a better thing. Think about how many people were unfriending family members and friends yeah. on, on Facebook during the election. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving was wife, horrible for some people. Had, you know, some, yeah, my wife had some friends, you know, who she's been friends with for a long, long time, and they got into, you know, politically oriented dust-ups on Facebook. She's like, I don't want to talk to that person anymore. And I'm like... <laughs> 
Uh, I got a book you can read. Yeah, I got a book. (laughs) I'll even, you don't even have to buy it. I'll send it to you (laughs) and I'll highlight all the, I'll highlight all the key areas for you. (laughs) Yeah, I've actually thought about writing a new version of the book uh, of hug your haters. That is all about sort of the personal side, not the business side, but the things we're talking about here today, the, the sort of personal family, how you interact with other people, the hug your haters philosophy applied to your personal life as opposed to business. Uh, I'm pondering it. Well, man, I, I listen, you've got a fan right here that would say, please do that. Because, uh, like I said, where I roll in the things that I'm doing, especially working with individuals and, and coaching them, just being a guide, you know, I tell people, I'm not going to give you answers to remember. I'm going to give you problems to solve. That's my job. And then walking into a company and getting them to learn to mastermind what their culture is going to look like, getting the leaders to be involved in what's happening. Um, because you, you know, you can't, um, you know, if you plant corn, you're not going to get watermelon, you know, so you can't do business that way. You've got to deal with what's on the inside with the seed that you are actually presenting in, you know, to move forward. Um, so please write that book. Um, and let me ask you as far as, uh, you know, moving into that topic, as you said, on that personal side, you know, about you, where did you get this? Like for you, what hooked you into saying, gosh, look at this problem. Look at how people run yeah. f- from criticism. Like what, what was the thing that marked you? I mean, I'm sure there were a, a series of events, but what was one thing that stung you so much that you said, I have got to produce this? Well, it's funny. Um, the book, this book, Hug Your Haters, was intended to go in a totally different direction. So my consulting firm works with many of the most interesting brands in the world. We work with a lot of big companies and we were getting questions all the time, primarily around social media, customer service and customer service disruption. So, Hey, who should manage the customer service, Twitter account marketing or customer service? How does social media customer service differ from telephone customer service? Should we put more people on their Facebook page to answer questions there or more money into answering Yelp reviews? Like all these kind of operational level customer service, uh, digital disruption questions. And, we thought, well, geez, if the biggest companies in the world are struggling with this, everybody is struggling with this. And so the original thesis was that speed is the most important thing today. Right. And in fact, the working title for the book was under an hour because the principle was that you have to answer every customer complaint within 60 minutes. That was the, the thesis. But unlike most authors, I thought if I'm going to write a whole book about this, I should make sure this is true. So I uh, hired a research organization, Edison Research, which is one of the biggest and and best research companies in the U.S., and we spent a bunch of time and a colossal amount of money on a huge research project into the science of complaint, who complains, where they complain, why they complain, how they complain. And what we discovered was that speed is really important. It it has a major um, correlation to customer satisfaction, right? Certainly, and, and also internally as well, right? If you complain to your boss uh, or your coworker or your dad, and nothing happens for two weeks, um, but then they answer you, that two week period is is terrible, right? right? So speed is really important. But we found that the most important thing is not speed. The most important thing is actually acknowledging complaints, which sounds super obvious, but it's not. Uh, In our research, we found that one third of all customer complaints are never answered, ever. Mm -hmm. Never acknowledged, never answered. And 
that's probably happened to you. I think it's probably happened oh, to yeah. everybody at least once, right? Where you've complained to a business and you've heard nothing, right? Nothing, not, not a call, not an email, not a tweet, not a letter, not a nothing. Uh, and that is terribly, terribly unsatisfying. And it's, it's so simple. And, and so we, we modeled this behavior and we found that when you answer a customer complaint, you don't have to solve the problem. When you just answer and acknowledge the complaint, it increases customer advocacy by as much as 50%. Wow. When you don't answer the complaint, you ignore it, it decreases customer advocacy by as much as 60%. Mm. So it takes a bad situation, makes it worse, or it takes a bad situation, makes it better. So ultimately what we concluded is that the people who complain, the haters, if you will, that's not your problem. Ignoring them is. Right. That that the the philosophy, the hug your haters formula for business is to answer every complaint in every channel every time. Every complaint, every channel, every time. What we typically do in business, small and large, is we answer uh, most complaints when we get around to it and we focus on the channels that we personally prefer. Yeah. That's how it actually works day to day. It's not good enough anymore. So so that's that's kind of how that came about. And 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 so then once I started writing the book and changed the title and said, okay, the, the real the real advice here is to is to acknowledge uh, complaints and 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 value criticism, uh, then you know the book kind of pivoted and, and that's kind of how we got to today. Wow, that's powerful because uh, there was something I learned a long time ago that silence can be deafening. And, and, you know, and, and, and you're going to get, you're going to get a response one way or the other. And it can, you know, in business, it can be really critical mass because you can get people really, really taking to the channels you're ignoring, or they're, they're telling, you know, by word of mouth, uh, as an influencer, really, you know, connecting bad information to someone and the information, you know, about you and you're not there to actually at least acknowledge or answer it. And uh, so it'll be uh, that deafening silence that you've created uh, can be a very painful uh, outcome for you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you bet. Um, well, let me ask you as um, how do you as far as like working um, once again, this is just on the inside working with companies mm-hmm. and people. Um, is it is it good to grab a hold of some of those influencers? Because, you know, how some of those critical voices that you have that maybe are creating pockets and clicks, maybe uh, that are, you know, the ones that are having the meeting after the meeting around the corner <laughs> uh, and, and, and turning them, you know, it's kind of like the how the FBI or the counterintelligence people, you know, you want to flip somebody and turn them into an influencer. Uh, do you have any ways or or have you experienced doing that, getting that person who does have a tremendous amount of influence uh, to learn how to you know work with criticism better or to pr- rightly direct it and focus it uh, in ways that you recommend? I think a lot of those people have a challenge with thinking that every complaint is an edge case that every complaint is a random circumstance that has only happened once will never happen again. And that's how they tend to minimize dissatisfaction is they say, well, that might be true, but that almost never happens. Mm-hmm. Or that might be the case, but but that's never happened before. Or that's just Julie. She's the only one who feels this way. So it's very difficult to confront those kind of people head on and say, no, actually, this is a serious uh, circumstance or there's more to this than you think and, and you need to listen because they're not they're not wired to do that. They they can't on the face of it accept that kind of circumstance. Right. Right. So the best way 
to do that is to attack it with math. Hmm. And that's where you start to say, okay, let's have some sort of feedback collection mechanism, whether it's whether it's reviews uh, or et cetera, surveys, what have you. And then you pull the patterns out of that data. So it's not an individualized complaint. It's a data set. And you say, hey, 17 out of 19 people said this. Ergo, this is clearly true. Um, and and when, you, when you line up the math like that, it becomes impossible for those individuals to dismiss it as an outlier. Wow. Wow. So internally, that's just a great mechanism you can use to say, hey, look, we can survey poll, like you said, with math, everybody in here, and let's put the math to this and say, here, here it is presented. So you're able, to, you're still giving voice to it as well, though, which is great. And people are seeing that you're actually taking whatever is being said or that criticism to heart. And you are actually now saying, let's do something with it. Um, you know, oh, it's, it's one of my greatest pet peeves is, is, attitude collection that has no byproduct. Hmm. There's all these surveys. We get asked to take surveys all the time Yeah, uh, by, by businesses, or you get asked to review your boss or your coworkers or, you know, all of and those nothing things. nothing happens. <laughs> or, or maybe something does, but you've got no idea. There's no, <laughs> it doesn't close the loop, right? And so you're like, I just spent like 20 minutes or an hour or whatever providing feedback. And it went into this black hole and A, did this, did anybody even get it? B, what happened? C, was that useful? I think in, in all corners of life and in business, we're really, really bad at creating closed loops uh, on feedback. We create a lot of open loops and that becomes dissatisfying. I mean, I get, a, I get an email survey from an airline, you know, twice a week and I almost never take them anymore because I'm like, well, you know what? I've got strong opinions about my flying, uh, but why should I take my time to do this? Because I don't even know if anybody's reading this. Right, right. You're just throwing me either you're just spending money to say that you did it or you're just throwing it yeah. into some back room that no one's ever going to, you know, bring it to light and I'll have any you know, have no idea did I even, yep. you know, have any impact with that. Well, and that's why I, I really hate in 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 a, in a workplace setting. We don't do reviews in my company. We do not do reviews. Huh. Uh because I've always found them to be counterproductive. Right. Especially when you have scores associated right. Okay, rank your coworker 1 to 5 or 1 to 10 on these 11 teen attributes <laughs> and, and, and thou, those scores are going to partially determine people's career path their compensation, all that jazz, you know what I'm talking about? Right. Right. And so it becomes about the number, not about the topics, not about the feedback. And, and so, you know, putting, putting numbers, you know, essentially trying to rate a coworker the same way that you would rate a sub sandwich place down the street, uh, feels very counterproductive to me. And, and so the numbers, when you, when you take math and put it into a survey, it always inexorably becomes about the math, not about, not about the actual comments. Right. Uh, if anybody's ever bought a car in the last two years, three years, uh, you, you have witnessed this, right? So you buy a car and 100 times out of 100, car salesperson says to you, hey, um, look, uh, I hope you had a good time. Uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, you're um, – you're going to get a survey <laughs> yeah. from JD Power. And I really look, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that you give me all tens. Do you understand? It's very, very important right. that you give me all tens. Is there anything that I can do for you to make sure that you give me all tens? Right? That conversation actually happens every time, mm. every time. 
And it's because the dealerships are partially compensated based on their average score. Right. And the salesperson is partially compensated on their average score. So what they're essentially doing is playing a psychological mind game with customers to make sure that they give them all tens. And of course, the experience was not all tens. It almost never is. And so how does that help anybody? How does, how does anybody benefit from that kind of construct? Customers are providing fake feedback. Right. You know, salespeople are, are, are being compensated for essentially shaking customers down psychologically. Right. And businesses are being rewarded for their ability to coerce their customers uh, to provide a score that they didn't actually earn. And then they can self-congratulate and say, oh, look how great we are at customer service, even though that feedback isn't actually true and honest. And so what I keep saying, and I've done some presentations in the automobile industry recently, I said, look, we got to totally change this. What we should be rewarding people on is survey completion rate, right. not average score. What you want is if you give the survey to 100 customers, 95 customers return the survey. That's the thing we should pay attention to, not what's the average score and did we get all 10s. Hmm. Wow. That's a, it's a whole new challenge for them. And I'm sure that made their heads explode. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wanted to hear that. Yeah. Well, that's going to, no, we, we, I don't know if we want to do that. Hey, let me ask you. Um, and I'm a big, uh, you know, I, I understand, you know, a lot of businesses, what they do is, okay, we're going to acquire business. Uh, we do some cultivation and then we need a retention plan. And I know hug your haters. You speak a lot about retention and I know that's the same with employees that, you know, they're trying to, you know, how do you have high employee retention? And I like to say to people, well, it's kind of like dating, right? And then you get married. So you date somebody, you do all this stuff, right? So you get a relationship that's like acquisition. You're cultivating because you want this person to say, I do to you or yes, first, before they say I do. And then ultimately, you know, you, you say then, well, how do you keep the relationship? Well, I like to tell people that you're, if you have a good cultivation plan and you stay and that's where hug your haters is powerful to me because you're keeping a feedback loop. In other words, you're keeping the conversation going because things come up, things happen. And it's answering, like you, I think you said, um, you know, answering every channel, every time. Um, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, every, complaint, every, every complaint, every channel, every time. That's right. And I feel like cultivation is your retention. You know, if you would learn to keep that going and keep that in the forefront, you know, you're not, I mean, of course, you're going to still have to answer some of the negativity and some of the criticisms that are out there. But if you would just keep that in the forefront of your mind, that while I may be doing retention, I'm actually put in a better position to cultivate a relationship as well. Um, do you agree with that? I mean, am I, do I see that properly? I think you do. And it is amazing how, how little attention retention gets right. in business. Like we all know, like every single person in business knows that it makes more sense to keep the customers you've already earned right. than to continuously have to get new customers to replace those that have defected. I mean, like we, there's no counter argument to that. No, no one's going to say, oh no, that's not a good idea. Like it, we just, we know it to be true. But we don't actually run businesses that way, typically. So there's some interesting research from Adobe that came out after the book was published that says that on average in America, the, the typical business uh, derives about 40% of their income from current customers. Hmm. About 40% per year is current customers. The average company spends 2% of budget on retention. So you're investing 2% to keep 40% happy. Hmm. 
And that's a risky mathematical proposition. Yeah, it sure is. You know, meanwhile, we're spending colossal amounts of money on marketing to convince new customers to, to join us. And we probably have that misaligned. You know, in, in almost every organization, uh, we should probably be spending more money on customer service and retention and less money on marketing. Wow. Let me ask you, how do you help people hit the reset button when they screwed it all up? You know, whether this is just intern, you know, just the internal issues with a company or how they've dealt with their customers when they just blew it, they got to hit reset. So, uh, and there's, you know, they want to redeem somehow. What, what path would you say, what would you say to them are some first good steps to take knowing this virtual world actually has a stronger voice than most people have ever imagined. So maybe they did it wrong, but now they want to do it right. Where do they start? It's amazing how how easy this script is to follow. You have to acknowledge that you made a mess of it. You have to apologize for making a mess of it. And then you have to very specifically explain what's going to happen from here on out. Hmm. It's that simple. So it's a three-step process, right? It's acknowledge, apologize, explain. Uh, and And the third part is the hardest part to say, okay, Here's what we have done or are doing differently. So now we have somebody whose job it is to answer customer complaints. Now we're going to um, acknowledge that that you have a, a right to complain and we want you to complain. Now we're going to make sure that when your subordinate complains about their vacation policy, that you don't yell at them. Right? We, we're right. going to have we're going to have these these this new world order. But it, it people's people want. To forgive. I really believe that. Uh, people want to forgive. You've got to be a monster <laughs> to, to not yeah. be given the chance uh, at, at reconciliation, at least in this country. Uh, and that proves itself over and over and over and over in, in almost every uh, walk of life, business, uh, music, movies, athletics. I mean, you see it over politics. Right. You see it over and over and over. And so all you've got to do is be is be authentic and contrite and organized and it'll take care of itself typically. Wow. Um, you know, the, with the, I heard you say, uh, customer experience will be more important than price. And I'm a big value person and I, I believe in the 10 times rule and not just saying, mm -hmm. it, you know, um, yeah. you know, there's the tangible thing, but there's so many intangibles and, um, I think it can help people understand obviously their value and not be so afraid of what they charge. Um, I think it's also, valuable for a person who brings that same value internally as an employee in a company as well to understand Definitely. it's that experience and what they bring to not be disruptive to the business um, and not be afraid. It'll take away the fear for them to go, Hey, look, I am valuable. And I do want to have this conversation. Um, we, I think you said it was like 2020 by 2020. Was that something? Uh, by 2020. Yeah. According to Walker, which is a, a customer experience research organization, they say that by 2020, um, more often than not, customer experience will, will be uh, more important than price in how people make purchasing decisions. And wow. that's so a number of reasons for that. But, but part of it and, and sort of how I interpret that data is that it doesn't really matter what you sell other people are going to sell the exact same thing, right? And you're, right. you have, like we do a lot of consulting work, as you know, and, and especially in professional services, you get this concept of kind of the secret sauce. Like we've got secrets, our accounting firm, our law firm, our consultancy, our, you know, doctors, we have this special process. Like, no, you don't, you, you really <laughs> don't. 
you you might have a different abbreviation than the right. other guys, but it's the same process. You don't have a proprietary strategic planning process. Come on. So there really is no secret sauce. And in business in particular, your competition will eventually steal everything from you, right? They're going right. to mimic your pricing. They're going to mimic your product. They're going to mimic your website copy. They're going to mimic your trade show booth. They're going to try and take your best employees. They're going to try and poach your best customers to make them bad people and make them business people. That's just the way it works. And so ultimately, and I think this is where this data from Walker kind of comes into play, ultimately, the only thing that is yours and yours alone in business, and I think also to some degree yours and yours alone in life, is how you treat other people. They can't take that from you. Your competition cannot cannot steal from you if you actually care more about your customers than they do. If you actually care more about other people than other folks in your organization or in your community, eventually you will win. I believe that. You know, if you if you set yourself up to outcare everybody else, to actively, progressively, proactively deliver a better experience for other people, not yourself, but for other people in every element of your life, eventually great things will happen Wow! to you. Wow. I, I mean, I had another question, but I'm just like, man, that's such like a perfect end note. <laughs> um, but I still want to ask this question. I mean, what, what? how do you invest in yourself? Like, as far as you, I mean, what you're sharing is so rich and I can tell it's not just a bunch of information. I mean, you're really connected to what you're sharing. This is an internal part of you. So how do you keep that fresh? How do you keep investing in yourself, Jay? This is my last question for you. Just staying fresh and and staying real like this because this is incredible, credible, valuable information for people. But how do you invest in yourself to stay this way? You know, it's interesting. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, I don't do as much investing as you might think. So So I'm not spending... You know, an enormous amount of time reading every single book that comes out every week or going to lots and lots of retreats and seminars and, and working on myself. I have an incredible situation in that the work that I do allows me to help people but also be helped. So we've got an amazing group of of clients that that challenge me every day. I do you know, 60 to 70 presentations a year all over the world and work with companies of every shape, size, and description. And so as I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm also taking in information and opportunity and observation that allows me to to, to sort of take this to the next level. And that's why, you know, I never give the same presentation twice, similar certainly, but but it's never exactly the same because every time I learn something new and then I change it and then here comes a different version or an evolution of it. So uh, it's, it's, it's great that my occupation essentially allows me to stay fresh just based on what I do every day. Uh, and then... I do have some really specific uh, treasured uh, mastermind groups that that I'm in with people who who I just absolutely cherish and adore who who not only teach me but but nurture me and hold me accountable for for living the things that I tell other people to do. Wow, that's powerful. And listen, and once again, I really appreciate you because you know I'm I'm new in the podcast world and my audience is growing, and uh, and it's in in just. Just for my listeners to know that here's a guy that's doing a lot of, lot of things out there, but yet he's still going to take the time to add value to your life. And, um, but Jay, uh, I, I continue to support you. I'm going to push more of your stuff to my listeners and I wish you nothing but the very best. And I hope someday that I'll be able to 
serve alongside you in a closer capacity somewhere in this big world of ours. And, um, but you've been wonderful, uh, uh, in this conversation and it's really been, a, a it's just touched my heart and I'm sure it's touched my listeners. Uh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the show and all the great work that you're doing. Uh, keep in touch. All right. Well, you've been listening to another episode of Uphill Conversations uh, with Jay Bear, and I will uh, have all of the stuff for you to check out about him on the show notes. And most importantly, remember, you can be more, do more and have more. And you will see people like myself and Jay on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you would like to hear more, subscribe to the show. Go to UphillConversations.co. Later on, Ski.